Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for the absolute certainty that we have that he paid the penalty for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day and is seated at your right hand. These are certainties. We know that he's coming again. We long for his coming. We look with eagerness, but we do not know the when. The important thing is not the when, because the most important day is not the day he comes, it's today. How am I going to use the blessed hope of his return to affect my attitude, my motives, my actions today. I pray that you will help us to get that perspective and let it change our life because there are people out there without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life, and we are on a rescue mission. Help us to play our part. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 4, we have the beginning of birth pangs. And I'm just going to read the section for you. Some of the sections that we're going to go through are pretty self-explanatory, I think. And I'm going to try to pass over them quickly because there are passages that need some real intense concentration. And I want to be able to spend time on those. So Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. There are two great dangers that believers in the tribulation are going to face. Remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The disciples represent believing Israel. In speaking to them, his message applies to those who will be believers uh, from Israel during the tribulation period. The number one danger is deception. Take heed that no one deceives you. In other words, be alert, be vigilant, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. Jesus is saying that many will come in my name, that is, <laughs> claiming the name of Jesus, saying, I am the Christ. They will be false Christ, and they will deceive Many. We've had a lot of them. Down through the ages, how many people have claimed that they are the Messiah? Over and over and over. And, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Does that sound familiar? The 20th century has been the bloodiest century in all of human history. Millions and millions some 11 million, I think, in World War I. I don't even remember how many million in World War II. The wars and the rumors of wars are going on. As I said to you earlier, last night, I believe that verse 4 through verse 8 is talking about the general trend of conditions from the time of Christ to the beginning of the tribulation period. If we're going to fit the church age anywhere in here, it would be in verses 4 through 8. And we know that because it's not until 9 that we begin with the tribulation period. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. My point being, we interpret this in light of the age of Israel, but the application certainly applies to us. You need to take care not to be deceived. You need to take care that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
The end of what? The end of history? People talk about the end of the world is coming. Jesus said the end is not yet. What end were we introduced to in verse 3? The end of the age of Israel. All of these things are going to be happening, but the end that they ask about is not yet. Pay attention to detail and pay attention to repetition. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places. Well, this is, this, these things have been going on through history. These are conditions that we face even now. All of these are the beginning of birth pangs. In other words, these are a part of bringing about the birth uh, of the plan and the people of God. These are what I would refer to as historical trends. These are simply trends that are going to carry on throughout history. You can look at many other passages that talk about the same thing. Matthew 13, Luke 21 are a couple. Uh, you can look at the book of Revelation. Essentially, Matthew 24 and 25 encompasses the same time period as the book of Revelation. You can look at Romans 9, 10, and 11, and you'll see the same scope in fact, I believe Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Paul's interpretation of many of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24, but looked at from church-age perspective. Tragically, there are people who read it that don't get it. The only thing they can see in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is God picks some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell, and that will never stand up under proper interpretation. Good hermeneutics, good Bible study methods demolishes that whole idea in any passage that you want to look at. Simply demolishes it. As I said last night, the rapture would take place between verse 8 and verse 9. I gave you a kind of an overview of history. I might just... I do have my marker here. Quickly again, the big picture, human history divided in half. That's history. Central point of history, cross of Jesus Christ. Before Christ, Old Testament, following Christ, New Testament. If you believe that, you believe in dispensations. Dispensation simply refers to the outworking of God's plan through human history. As revelation progresses, God's dealing with man is according to the revelation that's given. To whom much is given, much is required. If we want to zero in just on this portion, we put the cross here, we draw a timeline, the Holy Spirit comes down, the church age begins, the rapture of the church takes place, and then we're in the tribulation period. Matthew 24 and 25, verses 4 to 8 can certainly include historical trends in the church age, but beginning in verse 9, we're in tribulation period. Say, how do you know that? Can you prove it from Scripture? Yeah, read verse 9. Then, remember then is a time word. 
one of the chief interpretive tools of Matthew 24 and 25. It's used 17 times in the course of this discourse, and it's showing a sequence of events. It's showing a plan that is being worked out. Then they will deliver you. Who is the you? The primary focus here is believing Israel. By the way, have you noticed the increasing anti-Semitism in the world? Have you noticed the increasing anti-Semitism in our government? It's frightening. God made a promise to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and frankly, I would not be, want to be one of those who is cursing Israel. It doesn't work out well for people who curse Israel. That doesn't mean that we stand behind everything they do. That doesn't mean everything they do is right. What it does mean is they are a people God chose and called to himself for his own purpose, and we better just keep our hands off them. By the way, it's a good lesson to learn with fellow believers. You remember the question, who are you to judge another man's servant? Better be careful. Paul says, to his own master, he'll stand or fall, and stand he will, because God is able to make him stand. You know, when you choose to start attacking another servant of God, you're, you're asking for, well, actually, what's going to happen? God's going to promote him just to show you what he can do. God loves to take the weak, the foolish, the base, the despised, the nothings, and utilize them for his glory. So uh, if you want to promote that person you dislike, you just keep attacking and God will promote them. 